Blog Talk Radio. Once again, to the Wednesday night edition on the Fight Network, our sports conversation. I'm Don Henderson, and we've got a great group of people to talk tonight over the next hour and a half at what's happening in the world of sports. We always start off in Tampa, Florida. Our anchor over there is Roy Cummings. Right now, the uh, 
Orioles are playing host to the Rays. They're in the bottom of the fourth inning. It's nothing, nothing. The Rays, by the way, if they do happen to score in the first inning, are 23-2 and if they score first in any game. Roger Hendler is in Atlanta, Georgia. We'll get to him in just a couple of moments. And our executive producer, as always, is uh, Frank Carroll. And, Frank, I know you got a dedication before we jump into the sports world. Yes, sir. Tonight is a proud night for the Carroll family. Uh, next Thursday evening, uh, the guy who works the hardest I've ever seen, whether it's at football, golf, or basketball, uh, or selling shoes at Puma, uh, and that would be Brady Quinn Basso, will be graduating from uh, Palmetto High. So we want to send this, our best wishes out and congratulate Brady. Um, he's He's a very, very hard worker, and on top of that, one of the nicest people you ever want to meet. Well, of course, we'll get a chance to talk to Trevor a little bit later in the program, and he's going to join us to talk a little bit about USFL. Frank, he's a little proud of what he's doing in uh, his own podcast as well. But let's go down to Tampa, Florida right now, because Roy Cummings has covered the race since they got there, covered the Lightning since they got there, and... Uh, Everybody a little disappointed, uh, Roy, obviously, about what happened with the Lightning. But at the same time, uh, all great things have to come to an end, and this just happened to be the time. Yeah, it's, uh, you know what, we've been pretty fortunate here in Tampa. The, um, you know, like you just said, uh, the Lightning's run comes to an end uh, in the first round of the playoffs. But, boy, here in town we can just turn our attention to the Rays, and uh, here we've got the best team in baseball right now. Um, Obviously, some people in New York, or at least on WFAN, don't think that. But uh, at the end of the day, the record says as much. And uh, here they are against uh, the Orioles in uh, a battle of the top two teams in the American League, which is really kind of a surprise. I mean, I don't think anybody – I mean, if you started off, you know, at the beginning of the season and you said, okay, who are going to be the top two teams a month in, uh, would you have picked Tampa Bay and the Orioles? I can't imagine anybody would have picked either one to be among the top two teams uh, in the league. So – uh, quite an interesting uh, series here. It's been a good one. Uh, and the Rays are just proven that once again, back to actually both teams, um, this is what's interesting. Uh, both teams are proving that, you know, it's not all about high-priced free agents. It's not all about, uh, you know, superstar players. Uh, you, you'd, you'd be uh, hard-pressed to find a superstar in either one of these teams. Uh, the closest you can probably find is an all-star or two. And, uh, you know, and Randy or Rosarino has done it once and, a guy like Adley Rutschman, maybe, and, uh, you know, the pitchers are, uh, you really have to know the game, really, to know who the pitchers are and, and most of the players. So, um, it's, it's to me, it's quite an interesting uh, dynamic. Uh, I think the Orioles kind of looked at what the Rays have done and said, hey, this is how you build a team. Uh, you build it around pitching and defense. You don't worry about high-priced free agents. Uh, you save your money and, uh, you know, spend it on your uh, minor league system and uh, make sure that you're bringing up uh, quality players. And uh, both teams are doing that. And, they made it quite interesting. So yeah, been quite fortunate here in Tampa when uh, when when the Lightning uh, were you know you know bowed out, uh, we were able to turn our attention to the Rays. When the Rays bow out, well, for the last couple of years at least, we were able to turn our attention to a, a Super Bowl champion uh, team with the with the Bucks. So uh, things are pretty good here in Tampa. That's for sure. We got no complaints. And Roger, even though you're Atlanta at the moment, you're coming back to Philadelphia pretty quickly and. The Philadelphia Phillies struggle a little bit. Harper now cutting off the disabled list and has been playing quite well, really surprisingly well. And the Phillies came back and won a game today, which was very important to them. 
Yeah, it sure was, Don, uh, because uh, they uh, had really uh, been on the uh, skid. And then uh, they lost two to the Red Sox at home, and then they did win uh, the uh, last of the three uh, games against the Red Sox and took two uh, yesterday, last night, and today from uh, the uh, Blue Jays. So they now have another day off tomorrow. I'll tell you, the baseball schedule is crazy. They had off on Monday. They have off tomorrow because they're on their way to the West or to Colorado, and then they go to San Francisco. So I'll tell you, it's really uh, it's a, a crazy schedule. Excuse me, crazy schedule this year. Roy, the one thing about you, we always like to talk hockey a little bit at the top of the show with you. And I got to say, I was a little surprised uh, over the weekend when the Rangers decided all of a sudden out of the blue they were going to change. Now, granted, they they threw in a lemon in, in the last game of the playoff and got eliminated. But at the same time, I mean, they had a coach that got them into the playoffs, uh, had a relatively good season. Uh, I'm a little surprised. Are you? Yeah, I was a little surprised, too. Um, also surprised, actually, to hear that. I mean, I guess this had kind of been brewing. Um, and I mean, I don't know. If, actually, I don't know if brewing is the right word. It, it, a, a possible change had been discussed amongst, and this is according to uh, some, some strong insiders, uh, Elliot Friedman uh, with Sportsnet in, uh, in, in, in Canada. Apparently the Rangers had kind of discussed this possibility as, as far back as maybe January and, and you know, thought that you know, maybe they're not going to go much further with, um, with Gerard Gallant as their coach, which to me is, a, is, is an – I'm just shocked. I don't understand – why Gerard Gallant can't stay with the team for more than two, three years. Uh, you know, he's all he does is win wherever he goes. Uh, I think he's a solid coach. Uh, I don't think he does anything. You know, it's not like you're you're hiring John Tortorella where you, you know, where you've got guys who are going to really absolutely hate the guy. I think he's very well liked by his players. I think he's well respected. Um, you know, I, I don't really. I mean, having known Gerard Gallant as a player, I, I can't imagine that as a coach that. You know he's he's uh, so difficult to deal with that uh, the people don't want him as part of their organization. But I mean we're talking about you know possibly what four teams now in, in three or four years for Gerard Gallant and and so I, I but I am surprised because let's face it I mean this is as good as the Rangers have been uh, clearly they have the talent to be this good but uh, you know it takes a coach to kind of put it all together. I thought he did a great job of it and look we all know. Uh, as we're seeing right now with the, you know, with the uh, with the Maple Leafs, it, it does, and as we saw with the Bruins, it doesn't take much to get knocked out of the playoff in the NHL. I mean, the parity is as great as it is in the NHL. It's you know, it's it's much like the NFL. Anybody can beat anybody, and you get them into a you know into into a gritty uh, series in the playoff, and anything can happen. And so I'm a little surprised. I, I am a little surprised personally. Um, Unless you have plans of bringing in Barry Trotz, who I think would be the only coach out there who's better, and I, I don't know that that's the case. Um, I think it's a mistake, and I think they'll end up paying for it, and I think they'll probably be a lesser team for it. Uh, I don't think they'll be as strong next year, and uh, you know I think they're going to have a hard time uh, in, a, in, a, in what is becoming a very difficult division. Let's face it. Uh, you know the, the Devils, despite what's happening in Carolina, are uh, against Carolina with them in the playoffs. Uh, they've had some tough moments there. Uh, but that is a team on the rise. There's no doubt about that. Buffalo is a team on the rise. Uh, you know, the whole uh, Metropolitan Division uh, is good. The Eastern Conference is good. 
Um, I think it's going to be a mistake. I think the Flyers are going to make a big jump next year. Uh, we'll see what happens, but uh, a little surprised by it, yeah. Roger, the biggest surprise, I think we've been pretty much following it as Roy has been all year, as we watched the Bruins play, and they just kept getting better and better and better. And they set all kinds of records for a single season in a number of different areas. And what happens? They go goodbye in the first round. Well, exactly. And talk about an unhappy uh, area. That's uh, Beantown. Uh, Because the Celtics, if uh, the Sixers win tomorrow night, the Celtics are gone. And, you know, and and, uh, that all happened in a pretty – short period of time where the uh, Bruins were eliminated and now the Celtics could be eliminated because the Sixers have won two out of uh, the uh, three games up in Boston and they're home tomorrow night. I know we don't talk much about the uh, Sixers, but if they're ever going to have an opportunity uh, to uh, win a title, I think this is the year. Not only that, uh, Roger, I watched the whole game last night and I've never in all the years I either worked with the 76ers or watched the 76ers from afar, I've never seen them dominate a game at the Boston Garden the way they did last night. I mean, it was just incredible. They, uh, they, they wanted every angle, the, the energy of the team, the shooting percentages. I mean, it was unbelievable in the Boston Garden that they played that well. Well, yeah, Maxie and, uh, and uh, Embiid. Uh, had what 30 each and then uh, they said that everything on the uh, offensive side of the ball went through uh, uh, Harden so uh, it was a great game I mean they they've had some uh, poor performances but last night was outstanding Roy as we take a look at the uh, American League East as you pointed out that right at the top of the show uh, you, you look at the Rays and the only thing you can say that surprises me a little bit would be the fact they've hit the number of home runs that you said. There's no superstars on this team, but they score. They play great defense. They pitch. And when they have to have a home run, they hit a home run. I mean, it's amazing over this first 35 games of the season. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. Uh, I mean, more players with six home runs than any other team in the league right now. I think they've got nine. Uh, more players with seven home runs than any other team in the league. The team ERA is uh, and 90% of the baseball. people couldn't name the players. Right. You're absolutely right. Uh, you know, if, if you really follow the game, you you, you might uh, – you couldn't name them. But if they mention them, so you go, oh, yeah, yeah, I seem to remember him. He's still playing, huh? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Harold Harris <laughs> is still playing. Uh, Yandy Diaz, never heard of him, huh? Right? Okay, I get it. Um, but, yeah, you're – I mean, you know, Josh Lowe. I mean, who's – you know, there's another one. And uh, half the people wouldn't be able to say his name right. So, um, you know, it's, it's just – Again, it's just you got to give credit to the Rays and their scouts. I mean, this is what has carried this team for years. Uh, you know, back to the Joe Madden days. You know, they they have always done things a bit differently. They they feel they have to because they don't have the uh, you know the cash on hand that a team like the Yankees or the Mets or even the Phillies has. Um, they've got to do things a little bit differently, and they have they seem to have absolutely mastered that. Uh, there's no doubt. And um, they, they do something. I mean, they are, they're big on analytics. There's no doubt about that either. Um, you can, it can drive you nuts sometimes. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's certainly working. And uh, right now they're just on, uh, you know, confidence breeds confidence. And right now they are just on a, 
they're, they're just on a roll that uh, just kind of keeps kind of feeding itself. And, um, uh, you know, when, when you add that kind of power to what you already know is a strong pitching team and a strong defensive team, uh, it, it's pretty hard to lose. <laughs> and, and, and that's what it is with the Rays. It's, it's hard for them to lose because uh, they've got everything you're looking for. You, you know, the hitting has always been kind of just okay, just enough uh, to win. Uh, nothing special. But uh, this year, so far anyway, a little bit different. Roger, you're on a home uh, in a home territory of a looks like an outstanding team right now. Got a big lead in the National League East. Uh, the Mets are really faltering. Cohen spent all this money over the salary cap, and uh, Scherzer went down again. Couldn't pitch, has a neck problem. Uh, the Mets are really struggling, and uh, second place is wide open. But the Braves seem to have a lock at the top. Well, they do, Don. You're exactly right, and uh, and they have the talent, and they're deep. I think that's the uh, key that some of these other teams, and I've read a lot and seen a lot about uh, throughout baseball, and also I've heard, you know, in the NFL. I mean, in, in all sports, if you uh, have a, a deep bench or a system that's deep, uh, you're going to be uh, successful. And the Braves are uh, very well organized. They have been an outstanding operation for many years. And uh, I really uh, think that they are uh, the best team uh, definitely in the East and maybe in the, in the, uh, other than Houston in the National League. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, other uh, – well, that would be, yeah, Houston, I keep on thinking, uh, but that's in the American League where I think they're the cream of the crop. Roy, uh, you're, we've said it many times on the show, you're a Chicagoan. You follow the Cubs very closely. Uh, they had some bright spots, but they've also had some weak spots. And uh, But yet uh, they've got a pretty good club this year. Yeah, so far, uh, a little bit under 500 right now. They've hit a bit of a rough patch, and uh, you know, every team does. And uh, uh, right now they've kind of hit that. Um, you know, they're, they're trying some things out with some of the younger players. Um, I think that's hurt, actually hurt them a little bit. Um, you know, they've promoted some of the guys who in AAA are just showing that they don't belong there anymore. And, uh, it's you know, it's time to get them up to the big leagues. And, and it's really not about this year. I mean, I think the, the, look, the Cubs definitely want to – compete this year they want to they want to be a, a contender uh, i think they feel like they have a team that's capable of doing that um you know they've had a little bit of a some difficulty here with the cardinals who are really struggling um, oh, but again terrible. i think a lot of it is uh yeah i think a lot of it is the result of just the fact that they've suddenly brought up some guys that you know were just playing so well at triple a and i think they've kind of you know left some of the veterans on the bench and and uh, you know i don't have a problem with that uh, i love to watch young teams develop and these guys need to play so uh, we'll see we'll see where it takes them. But, um, you know, every team hits a patch like this. But, yeah, I think overall uh, the Cubs are a different team than they were a year ago. The pitching is pretty good. There's more coming very soon. Uh, Kyle Hendricks, who had been their ace for a couple of years, uh, is about to come back. So um, the pitching will get a little bit deeper. Um, they've got, you know, uh, Roger was talking about the depth of the Braves. Well, the Cubs seem to have it as well. And uh, they got pieces they can move. And, who knows? They may be start. They may start moving players uh, well well ahead of the uh, the trade deadline. Uh, you know, guys like uh, Eric Hosmer and uh, uh, Trey Mancini. Some of those guys. Uh, they, they may move some of those guys sooner rather than later uh, if they can get uh, what they're looking for in return. Because um, again, they 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 seem to have, be eager to 
to give the younger players uh, their shot and, uh, and see what they've got. So we'll see where it takes them. If those kids can um, find their footing in the major leagues, yeah, this will be an interesting team to watch all year. Roger, the Padres keep spending money. They keep saying, this is the year we're going to challenge the Dodgers. This is the year we're going to beat the Dodgers. I don't know. I see a lot of Dodger games. And I'll tell you, the Padres don't seem to me like they're the team that's going to beat the Dodgers right now. No, and it's been like that for several years. And, you know, when you talk about the Mets being, spending a lot of money, Padres had. I mean, look at Soto. I mean, that's that big investment. And uh, and you're exactly right. Uh, they They just don't seem to be able to – uh, kick it in high gear uh, to uh, pull away from the you know the rest of the uh, division, and uh, I, but I, I would not be surprised if at the end of the year they're there at the top. Roy, uh, we jump around to a number of different sports. Uh, let's get back to football. You covered the Bucks since they uh, came down to Tampa, and uh, we've had a week now or ten days to sort of. Mull over who got the best of the trades, who got the best of the draft. Your observations of uh, where the Bucks stand right now, uh, with a number of holes going in, and have they settled any of them? Yeah, uh, well, I think that if, if we can believe anything from what we've seen, uh, at least of, of the uh, the workouts, uh, these off-season workouts that they're having right now, uh, we just may be able to figure something out. It looks like. Luke Gedeke, uh a player they picked up a year ago in the draft, played guard for him last year, is going to move over to right tackle, which means that Tristan Wirfs is going to move to left tackle and replace uh, Donovan Smith. Um, that's, uh, that, that's, a, that's a significant uh, change. And uh, Gedeke played uh, right tackle in college, so it's not like he's not, you know, it's a foreign position to him. Um, but uh, the Bucks love guys who are versatile up front in particular. So, um it's not like he doesn't fit over there. I think it's going to work out really well for him. And uh, if, if uh, Tristan Wirfs can play the left side, uh, he's certainly got the athleticism to do it, you would think. Uh, that that could uh, be very helpful for this team uh, going forward. You know, they've added some pieces. Uh, looks like right guard is going to be the the battle spot. Um, and the Pucks picked up uh, a guard in uh, in the draft here in the second round, Cody Mock out of uh, – uh, out of Iowa State, Iowa, and uh, and it looks like you know that's a kid who who could step in and give them some some nastiness that they're looking for, and uh, so you know I I think look I think the Bucks defense is going to be solid. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a you know I think it'd be a top ten defense. I don't think it'd be a top three, but I think it's going to be very solid. And um, and I think if the Bucks can just you know figure out a way to score you know eighteen twenty one points. Uh, they they could be contenders, and I think that's capable. You know, I look, I I think Baker Mayfield's a, a solid quarterback, um, and and, I, and he's going to he, right now. I mean, they are not they are absolutely adamant that it's going to be a competition. Uh, the Baker Mayfield has done nothing to you know earn any kind of special uh, uh, you know status with the Buccaneers, so it's going to be a competition with him and Kyle Trask and. Uh, they just brought in a kid who had some starts with the uh, with the Rams last year, Wolford. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. I I, I would expect uh, Baker Mayfield to win that battle. Uh, if he doesn't, uh, he's probably uh, headed to the broadcast booth somewhere. You know, for Division three college. Um, but uh, I, I would think that he's going to win that battle. If he does, I, I look. I like the running game. The receiving core is solid. I think the Bucks could surprise some people. I think they're a team to watch going forward. 
Well, it'd be nice to see Dodd Bowles get a break, and because uh, when he went to the Jets, uh, first year was not too bad. The talent just went out the window after that, and he never really had a chance. Uh, he came in and got a great opportunity with the Bucks. We'll see what happens there. Roy, thank you very, very much. We've got a Hall of Famer waiting in the wings right now, Ray Dittinger, and uh, we'll get together again at uh, 7.30 next week. Thank you. Works for Have me, a guys. great week, Roy. You too, guys. Thanks for having me. I, I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, Ray Dittinger right now, and uh, Ray, of course, uh, covers the National Football Hall of Fame. First of all, writer, playwright. Uh, Ray does it all. Broadcaster with WIP uh, TV. Uh, has covered the National Football League from almost day one. The great play that he wrote for Tommy McDonald. We'll talk a little bit about that as well. But, uh, Ray, first of all, thank you very, very much for joining us always. And, number one, we got to start off with the Eagles. As I said to, to Roy a moment ago, uh, what's he think about the Bucks and what they did? What do you think about the Eagles and what they did? Uh, well, great to be with you guys. Um, and... Um... I thought, you know, I'm not alone in saying this. I think the Eagles, I think the Eagles killed it this year. I really do. I mean, uh, I mean, if you if you look at all the, uh, you know, all the draft analysts and all the draft nicks and, you know, all the Mel Kuypers and Todd McShays and all those guys that make a living out of grading the draft. Um, I mean, almost everybody gave the Eagles an A. A lot of people gave them an A plus. Um, and I'm right there with them. I thought that they did, especially if you, especially if you add. DeAndre Swift to the uh, to the draft, which you probably should, because it's part of the same hall. Um, I thought it was a great draft. I, I really do. I mean, I, you know, I didn't, I really didn't see going into it any way they would be able to land <clears throat> Jalen Carter. You know, I didn't think uh, sitting in the ten spot, I didn't think that he'd come anywhere near them. Uh, but it did. It turned out that he, he dropped the nine, and they were able to make the trade and get him, and still get Nolan Smith at thirty. So. Uh, I mean, that, and that was just the first round, and then they just kind of went from there. So, yeah, they had a great weekend, and, uh, you know, the people in Philadelphia are, you know, they're still licking their wounds over the Super Bowl, but they're feeling pretty good about the draft. Roger? And they're ready for another Super Bowl, Ray, let's face it, you know. And uh, I'll tell you, you know, I heard some comments. I'd like your uh, thoughts about this. Some people have said that they think that Carter is either going to be a Hall of Fame type player uh, or a bust. Uh, first of all, I don't think you ever, you know, come in the middle on, on a, a first round pick that high with his reputation. What's your opinion uh, about that with him? Well, I mean, it's yeah, that's that's very simplistic to say it's going to be one or the other. I mean, he he could be a guy in the middle, you know. I mean, he, I mean, he could be a guy that's just a good player, doesn't necessarily have to be a superstar, and he doesn't necessarily have to be a bust. I mean, he could just come in and be, a, you know, okay. But uh, uh, my feeling is, I, I think he's going to be really good. Um, you know, I mean, I have, I, I can only base it on, you know, I, every year I do, when I leading up to the draft, I, I evaluate the players pretty closely. Uh, and mm-hmm. I grade them, and uh, uh, I, I gave Jalen Carter a higher grade than I gave Fletcher Cox coming out of college, uh, and mm-hmm. you see the kind of career that Fletcher Cox has had, uh, and uh, and I had him graded pretty high, uh, but I had I had Carter graded higher. I, I think he has, I think he's really good. I, I think he's I think he's really good. I mean, um, the comparisons I would make with players in the NFL today, I mean, to me, he, he remind he's a little bit of a cross between. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons and Chris Jones. I mean, I think that's, 
I think that's the kind of player you're talking about, which is, uh, you know, a dominant inside defensive tackle who can uh, who can play the run and also get pressure on the quarterback. And those those guys are hard to find, and uh, especially this year because I, you know, in this draft. This draft was pretty deep in edge rushers. I mean, you had a lot of guys, you know, and Nolan Smith being one of them, but, I mean, there were a lot of guys who could play on the edge either as an end or a stand-up linebacker and rush the quarterback. There were, there were a bushel of those. But there weren't many guys who could play at the defensive tackle position, either either a one technique or a three, that could um, be really disruptive players uh, and be big-time pass rushers in addition to run defenders. And Carter was and Carter was the best of the bunch by a lot. So you know, I'm I know there are concerns about him off the field, and I listen. I share them. I mean, it's mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's there's obviously uh, a real maturity issue here that. Uh, um, that you have to be concerned about, uh, but um, the talent when you when you watch him play, I mean the talent is is undeniable. I mean he's, you know, for a for a six foot three and a half, three hundred and fifteen pound guy, um, his ability to get off the football and get off a block, and sometimes even be a two point stance guy. I mean they they would have him in a stand up position. How often do you see a three hundred and fifteen pound guy in a two point stance? But that's the kind of versatility and athletic ability that this guy has. And, uh, you know, coming here to a team like the Eagles, that's a Super Bowl team with a a real hard veteran core that uh, knows how to win and a good, you know, a a good work ethic sort of organization. You know, I think this kid's going to come in here and flourish. Ray, I'd have to add to that uh, a couple of things. One, uh, how he took a lot of heat a few years ago, and he certainly turned the team around going to the Super Bowl this year, made the right decisions at quarterback. He did a lot of research on Carter. I mean, everybody talked about the Eagles are researching Carter, researching Carter. Everybody said they were going to try to get him. I agree with you. I don't think anybody thought that necessarily he would fall that far. But at the same time, sometimes you just have to be lucky. And uh, so he not only did all the homework, but he got lucky on top of it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. oh, no, for sure. And that's, you know, that's that's a story on every draft. I mean, you can prepare, 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 prepare. but sometimes it comes down to just being lucky. You know, it, it really does. I mean, um, uh, and, you know, I mean, a couple of years ago, you know, Devontae Smith falls into the Eagles' lap, really. I mean, it's, you know, that was a year when the way that whole draft was looking, um, I mean, everybody figured that the Giants, who were drafted ahead of the Eagles, uh, were, going to take, uh, uh, were going to take Devontae Smith. And the Eagles desperately needed a receiver, and they wanted Devontae Smith. And the couple picks ahead of them, you know, the Denver Broncos take Patrick Sertan, which nobody saw coming. They thought that Denver was going to take a quarterback. They'd take Sertan, who was whom the – that was the guy the Cowboys wanted. And then the Cowboys, now they lost their player, so they're, they're willing to trade. The Eagles trade with the Cowboys and jump up ahead of the Giants, and they get Devontae Smith. So, I mean, that's total luck. I mean, the Denver Broncos changed the whole Eagles draft for them. Yeah, I mean, they had no control over that. It just happened. And this is kind of the same thing. I mean, I looked at it uh, – you know, I knew I knew the Eagles were very interested in Carter, and I knew they were doing a lot of homework on him, and they were going down there and they were talking to a lot of people about him because they had those concerns about off the field stuff, uh, and and they were really investigating him because you know the biggest off season loss they had uh, was Javon Hargrave. I mean, he you know he was a defensive tackle and a real good one. I mean, a double digit sack guy at that position. They're, they're pretty hard to find, and he you know we, they knew it was going to be hard to keep him, and he did. He left for a big contract. Okay, good for him, uh, but that was that was an area that they had to address. You know, and they had internally 
Philly, they talked about it, and they said, man, this Jalen Carter, he would just be perfect. Just, he would just plug right into that spot. And But they, you know, they they had to check out and see if, if you know, to use the old Mike Mayock expression, I love the player. Now I have to find out if I love the kid. Uh, and so they did their homework. And, uh, you know, and they came back and they said, listen, he's made some mistakes, but we've, you know, come to the conclusion he's not a bad kid. Um, and uh, so I heard all of that. But then I'm still looking at the board, and I, I was positive. I mean, I was just positive that Seattle was going to take him at five. Um, and I understood it because Seattle, you know, Seattle desperately needs that kind of player on their defensive line. They just don't have anybody like that. So, and, I, and Pete Carroll's not afraid to take a chance with a guy that has a little bit of a questionable rep. You know, Pete has exactly. a lot of confidence. In his, Pete has a lot of confidence in his ability to, to coach and motivate. So it seemed like a fit to me. He'll go to Seattle at five. So I wasn't even really paying much attention to the Jalen Carter talk because, you know, if the Eagles wanted him that bad, what were they going to do, trade up to four? I mean, trade from ten to four, it's going to cost you a fortune. So I just figured that the Carter thing, okay, investigate it, but it ain't, probably ain't going to happen. Well, when Seattle passed on him at five, then all of a sudden, then everything changed. And then it became it became doable. And he dropped and he dropped and he dropped and he dropped to nine. And, you know, the Eagles were able to get him for minimal cost. And uh, and now they feel like they've got a guy who's going to step in and be a difference-making player from day one. Well, Hall of Fame writer, Hall of Fame broadcaster, Ray Didiger, our special guest, been covering the National Football League since day one. And, Ray, uh, let me get back over to Roger because I know he's chomping at the bit. Well, the, my, yeah, my, my question is about Jordan Davis and the effect that he'll have on Carter. I mean, they were teammates, they're friends. That, uh, but, you know, Jordan Davis has never had anything that I know of, uh, you know, in, in his uh, background, you know, like Carter unfortunately did. How do you think, will they team up well, and is that a good mix, or is Davis more of just a a run stopper? Uh, Well, at this point, that's what he is, but I think that he he certainly has the ability to be more than that. I mean, at his size, I mean, you're talking about a 350-pound man who ran a 4840, so, I mean, he can be more than just a a guy that's going to plug up the – plug up the middle against the run i mean with that kind of size and that kind of speed um there's no reason why he can't be able to get across the line of scrimmage and get some pressure on a quarterback as well now it carter is more natural at that i mean he's he's a little he's got a better takeoff he's a little quicker off the ball uh he's got a little bit more bend to him uh he can spin and he can do some more things athletically than davis can uh but i think the two of them side by side can be very effective and you've got, you know, and you've got, and you're still got at least for one more year. You got Fletcher Cox in there, so that's a pretty good threesome. Um, the other guy that I think is going to be critical to the Eagles this year is Nicobe Dean, um, who they drafted last year in the third round, who was mm-hmm. the captain of that Georgia defense two years ago when they won the national championship, uh, and as a guy that has. Uh, and you could, you, I mean, you could see it if you anybody that watched Georgia, you could see that. I mean, he was the guy calling the shots on that defense. I mean, that's a, that was a an all-time great college defense, and he was the guy in the huddle that was calling the signals, and he was the guy that was, you know, really, he was the guy that was in charge. When you're talking about a defense that good with that many first-round draft picks and all that kind of talent, and in the big spot, they're all looking at this one guy. Uh, that kind of tells you what kind of player he is. And so, Nicobe Dean is also in this Eagles mix. Now, last year. He didn't play a whole lot 
uh, on the defensive side. He played mostly special teams. Uh, but the Eagles lost two linebackers in free agency, and so they're expecting N'Kobe Dean to step in and become a full-time player this year. Uh, and if he's taking a full-time, if he's a full-time player, then I think he'll be able to exhibit more of that leadership kind of quality that he did in college. It was, you know, wasn't going to do it last year as a special teams player. I mean, he was he was sort of a backup guy, and those guys don't become leaders in a rookie year. But next year. This coming season, I mean, he's going to be asked to play a leading role, maybe even as a middle linebacker, but the guy wearing the, the speaker in his helmet. And uh, I think that's when you're going to see some of that natural leadership come to the fore. And uh, all those guys, all those Georgia guys on that defense, and I'm talking about Davis, I'm talking about Carter, and I'm talking about uh, Ringo, too, uh, and, and Nolan Smith. I mean, all of those guys were part of that defense in Georgia. And if they're all on the field together this year, as I suspect that they will be, um, I think it's going to bring out the best in all of them. Ray, I, I think amazing. we really have to give a lot of accolades to the management of the Philadelphia Eagles from top to bottom. I mean, they went into the season last year with an idea about the quarterback. Uh, they uh, they held ground. They decided this was what they were going to do. But more importantly, before any of this other thing, any of these other things happened, they signed them to a long-term contract. I mean, they, every move they've made has been a positive move from a league standpoint and from an eagle standpoint. Yeah, I mean, they really have. And, you know, you're, you're right when you say that, uh, you know, this time last year there were a lot of people in Philadelphia that wanted, wanted Howie Roseman out of town. Exactly. Uh, there were a lot. There were a lot of people. A lot of people in this town that were, you know, saying, "You know, can we please get rid of this guy?" Because they just, you know, I mean, they were all. Everybody was really hung up on you know, them picking Jalen Rager over Justin right. Jefferson, which uh, I mean, you know, every anybody will tell you that was a colossal mistake. But um, you know, the other part of that was okay. You blew it in round one, but in round two, you got Jalen Hurts. Uh, and, you know, you got to say that that sort of more than makes up for that. Uh, and since then, I mean, Howie has, you know, has really not made a bad move that, that, I, that you can think of. And he's uh, he's done a really good job. I mean, and, and the contract they signed hurts, too, uh, after last season when he was really great. Uh, I mean, everybody knew everybody knew the Eagles were going to give him an extension, and it made perfect sense for them to give him the extension this year, uh, because yeah, you knew Justin Herbert was going to be, and Burrow and those guys were going to be resetting the bar, and Lamar Jackson were going to be resetting the bar for what quarterbacks were being paid. So, if you're the Eagles, get in ahead of that, which they did, uh, and they're pretty smart in doing it. And you look at the way that Howie, and he's always been good at this, is structuring contracts. Uh, I mean, you know, Jalen's going to make a lot of money. There's no question about that. Uh, but the way it's structured, it's structured in a very team-friendly way. I mean, the first couple of years here, um, it's, the cap hit is not that big. So for the next couple of years, they're still going to have – they can still pay Jalen Hurts, but they're still going to have plunty of money to pay other players and also hunt down free agents. Now, a couple of years down the road, that money's going to start kicking in and it's going to get a little tighter. But over these next couple of years when – you would say that the Eagles' Super Bowl window is, is widest open. Um, the contract, Jalen Hurts' contract, big as it is, is still going to give them enough flexibility to go out and make the kinds of moves they want, they want to make to, to stay right there in the mix. So, you know, Howie's done a great job. He's really done a great job. And, you know, I didn't when they drafted Jalen Hurts, I, like everybody else, I was scratching my head. You know, I couldn't figure it out. I mean, at that point, you know, they had, they had made the big investment in Carson Wentz. I mean, he certainly seemed like he was going to be the quarterback here for a long time. Um, they had just signed him to a big contract. It looked like they're, they, they, you know, well, what in the world are you using a second-round draft pick on a guy who's a backup quarterback, really? Um, <laughs> and 
and he comes in, and you know, now we see where Chris, you know Carson Wentz right now is, is, is doesn't even have a doesn't even have a roster yeah. spot anywhere. And Nowhere. Jalen Hurts is it, yeah, and, and Jalen Hurts is coming off a near MVP season and a trip to the Super Bowl. So uh, it turns out that the decisions they made and the confidence they showed in Jalen Hurts was well justified. Well, that brings me to Brazen the Super is your Bowl. Guest and, uh, Roger, you're up. Yeah, yeah, to the second half, and Jonathan Gannon, and now, and now what surfaced is that uh, there was uh, some uh, uh, underhanded uh, uh, work going on by Michael Bidwell, and, and, and Jeffrey Laurie had a, they negotiated. You have you heard anything? What's your opinion about that? And I mean, I you know how we were all upset with Gannon that he didn't face the press after the Super Bowl, and that la- that second half was just a disaster. But what I, you, I know you've heard all about what I just mentioned about the uh, two owners. What do you think, Roy? I mean, Ray, what oh, do you sure. think? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, you, yeah, I mean, you laid it out right, pretty well, Roger. I mean, yeah, there was um, there was contact that the Cardinals contacted Gannon, and he talked to them. Uh, between the time of the conference championship game and the Super Bowl, which he was not supposed to do. Uh, the Cardinals weren't supposed to have any contact with him. He was not, and if they did, he wasn't supposed to talk to them. Um, but they both violated it and uh, should not have happened. Uh, and, I mean, some people in Philadelphia, there's a lot of people saying that that's why the Eagles lost and, you know, the Gannon's, you know, his head wasn't in the game and he was distracted and he was this and he was that. And I, I, I kind of, you know, I, I kind of don't buy that. You know, whatever the conversation was, I mean, it it didn't last very long. Did he think a whole lot about it? Yeah, probably. But, I mean, you know, he he also knew that his number one priority was getting ready to play the Super Bowl. So I I really don't think it compromised his preparation. And, frankly, you know, what happened to him in the second half of that game, that, that was just his style of coaching. You know, he, I mean, he's just not a guy who changes. I mean, he's a guy that he's going to he's going to play his style of defense. You know, he's going to play he's going to play everybody deep. He's going to try and take away the big play, and uh, you know, and he's going, and that whole underneath area in the middle of the field is going to be wide open. And they were able to he was able to get away with that this year uh, because, frankly, the Eagles' schedule was not the hardest. They didn't face a whole lot of really good quarterbacks. And so that style of defense kind of worked. You know, combined that style of play uh, with uh, with what was a good pass rush, and they were able to get away with it. Uh, you know, I mean, to a fairly well. I mean, fourteen and three is is quite a season. But my my fear all along was, you know, it's somewhere down the road you're going to get into the postseason and you're going to be playing good teams and you're going to be playing good quarterbacks. And if you can't get a pass rush, if you can't get heat on these quarterbacks, you know, they're going to light you up. I mean, they just are. And that's what you saw happen in the Super Bowl. They couldn't get a pass rush. They couldn't get a pass rush on Mahomes. Uh, and he was able to just uh, pick them to pieces. And, you know, at that point, you know, that's where Gannon, that's where defensive coordinator has to change. He has to figure out, okay, well, this isn't working. We've got to come up with something else. And he never did. I mean, he just, he just stayed Even in the same the defense. Even with the high they still, yeah. they still couldn't control it. Yeah. Right? I mean, well, Let me ask you this. You know, the NFC East was always, in my mind, or at least a period of time that I've been watching football since 47, 48, was always the greatest division to watch. How do you think everybody else made that? We know what the Eagles did. We're all very enthusiastic about what everybody did from a management standpoint, from a player standpoint. What do, you, what do you think about the Giants are trying to come up a little bit? The Cowboys are sort of stagnant. 
What's your opinion of the rest of the NFC East? Um, I think the Giants are, you know, the Giants are coming on. Uh, you saw it last year. Um, they've got a, you know, they've got a general manager who knows what he's doing, which they haven't had for a while. Uh, and they've got a coach who knows what he's doing. Uh, you know, I thought, I thought Brian Dable was a really good coach. I mean, I thought that he, more than anybody else, is responsible for turning Josh Allen into Josh Allen. I mean, anybody that saw, anybody that saw him play in, at, at, in, at Wyoming, you, you knew how far away he was from being an NFL quarterback. A lot of talent, but, I mean, he really had so much to learn about playing the position. And Brian Dable, you know, taught him how to play quarterback in the NFL and, and really turned him into the player that he is now. That, that convinced me that he was a really good coach. And, you know, he goes to New York, and he's, you know, he's a way better coach than anybody they've had in a long time. And you're seeing – I mean, you saw that uh, – uh, the quarterback last year, Jones, I mean, he, he benefited from that. That was clearly his best season. So the Giants are getting better. I mean, they're still not great, but, uh, but they're certainly moving in the right direction, and they got people in charge that seem to know what they're doing. Uh, the Cowboys have talent, but um, uh, I didn't think their draft was, was anything special. Uh, they, you know, I, you I, gave them them a I gave them a C. Yeah, I gave the okay. Giants a B plus. And I gave the I gave the uh, I gave Washington uh, a C minus. I didn't think their draft was particularly good, and uh, that 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 team's just got they're 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 the farthest away, you know. And and there's just you know you don't know what the new ownership is going to be. They're still trying to put a front office together. Um, you know, you got Ron Rivera probably on his on you know on his last year of his contract. It's you know the Washington team they're still trying to figure it out we'll see you know get moving on from dan snyder can only help i mean that uh, mm. you know that's you know i i really people people on the outside don't really understand how important good ownership is in pro football uh, or or they don't under, they don't appreciate how hard it is for a team to win with bad ownership you know everybody kind of thinks that the owner the owner and the football program are, are two separate entities and they don't really influence each other not really true uh I mean, there, there are reasons why certain teams win over a long period of time uh, that, that maintain and they sustain success because they've got good ownership. I mean, Pittsburgh has been a, a good example of that. You know, the same family has owned them for years, people who know what they're doing. And the Steelers are in it all the time, you know. And uh, I think you've seen that with, with other teams are like that. You know, New England is, is a really good – I mean, Kraft is a really good owner. And for, and for over time, over decades – They've maintained a, a real good level of success, and you know the Eagles very much the same way with Jeff Lurie. I mean, Jeff since Jeff Lurie bought the team, the Eagles have been in the playoffs more often than not. But you get Washington. I mean, Washington was a great franchise, a great right. franchise for years and years, and then Dan Snyder bought them, and they've, they've just been a bottom feeder. So I mean, if it weren't for uh, in pro football. Yeah, you're, I mean, you really it really does start at the top. And, you know, now we'll still now, be watching and, you know, one game a weekend. On television, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's I mean, true. He was, that's he, true. They were the ones that changed the whole TV policy that the world has to see these games. Oh, yeah. yeah, you're oh, right. Oh yeah, that's true. And we'll see. You know, we'll see now. I mean, the, the Snyder ownership was a disaster, and you know, Washington and and the team and the fans suffered for two decades because of that. Well, he's gone now, and we'll see you know, if his new ownership is better, and if they are, how much better, and that may change things. But right now. You know, right now the Eagles are still, I mean, they were last year, and they still are, in my view, the class of that division. Right, Roger, last question for Ray Dittinger, Hall well, of Famer. We've got, we got to talk about Tommy and me, okay, because you have it coming up again uh, in theater this uh, summer, 
And then I know you were talking about uh, the movie and uh, what we – Don and I, I, I am moving back to where I grew up, Drexel Hill in June. So oh. I can't wait to come out again and see it. And I'm going to pick – Don says you were a founding father of the NFL. No, when he talks about the 47 and being at the game, I think he was. But the uh, tell, give us the schedule. the snow. Yeah, I know. Uh, tell us about tell everybody about um, the uh, schedule for uh, this summer with uh, Tommy and me, and about the movie. Well, Tommy and me is uh, we're in rehearsal right now, and uh, we're going to open uh, at the Bucks County Playhouse May nineteenth. Uh, and we're going to run for a full month. It's going to open May 19th, and we run through June the 17th uh, up at Bucks County Playhouse in New Hope, uh, which is a great—it's a, it's a great theater. theater. It's, it's yeah. been—it's been there for—it's been there literally for a hundred years, uh, mm-hmm. and some great performers. I mean, that's where Grace Kelly made her professional debut. Uh, it's where Robert Redford made his professional debut. I mean, the, the theater has great history. So. I mean, it's thrilling for me to see my play <laughs> on that stage. Oh my goodness! Uh, but yeah, we're um, uh, we've got it's, the play has been around since 2016, and we've had uh, it's been running every year since then in different theaters all over the area. Uh, but this year, the Bucks County Playhouse uh, wanted to bring it in and make it their own production, so they hired a new director uh, and they hired an all-new cast. Uh, and they hired actors, uh, some of them from Broadway, uh, a couple of them from TV. Uh, and so um, even if you've seen Tommy and me before, uh, you can come and see it this, this, this year, and it's going to have a whole different look and feel. And uh, Gordon Clapp, who was, the, uh, who was one of the detectives in NYPD Blue for 12 seasons, uh, he's yeah. going to be Tommy McDonald. And, uh, and he's, uh, it turns out that he, even though he grew up in New England, he uh, he grew up a big Tommy McDonald fan. So when they sent him when they sent him the script, um, he called them back like the next day and said, "I'm in. I want to do this." And I'll he's uh, and he's been here uh, he's been here rehearsing for a couple of weeks, and he he can't wait. I mean, he and I have talked a lot about uh, about this. And um, you know, he was saying to me, he said, "The last thing I did last month, I was doing a one man play about Robert Frost." Uh, and he said, and here I am doing this. He said, and I can tell you right now that Tommy McDonald is a lot more fun than Robert Frost. And I, I would agree with that. <laughs> well, Ray, Good congratulations everyone. on everything so far. And uh, thank you so very, very much for spending some time with us. We always love to get together with you, and we'll do it again soon. And, always and a pleasure we'll, to be with you. And I'll be up there. I'll be up there as soon as I get up there. The middle of June, I'm on my way to Bucks County. Okay, no don't, don't 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 waste too much time now. We close we close on June the 17th, so come on out to Bucks County Playhouse in Newtown Square. Come on out and see Tommy and me, and see Gordon Clapp as Tommy McDonald. It's going to be a treat. You oh, got it, partner. We will be there definitely. Thank you so much All again. Right. Take care, Thanks, guys. Take see care. You. All righty. Let's go back. Bye-bye. Let's go back now over to Tampa because a lot of people in the uh, Tampa area don't know that the Philadelphia Eagles have become one of the favorites. Of uh, If you're not watching the Bucks, you're watching the Philadelphia Eagles. And, of course, Tommy Gilbert, who was with this show for so, so many years, unfortunately passed away. But Paulie Frohn is going to join us right now. They call him the mayor. Uh, he's a Tampa Delphi guy, and he's, he has a group. Let's first of all start with numbers, Paulie. How many numbers 
are in the group on Sundays that watch the Philadelphia Eagles with you guys all together? <laughs> well over a hundred and close to uh, close to two and a quarter. On Super Bowl well, Sunday just recently, we had between six hundred and six hundred and fifty diehard Eagles fans at our little place in Clearwater. Wow, Roger? Yeah. What? Yeah, well, you know, I, I just want to mention, since uh, you brought uh, Tommy up, Don, that uh, I lost a, uh, a real good uh, neighbor and uh, friend this morning. Uh, he died at 6 o'clock. And uh, his name was Jack Michael, lived in uh, Newtown. And uh, he and I spent several uh, summers at uh, Eagles Camp uh, up in Lehigh, you know, we go up for the day a couple times uh, during the uh, training camp. And uh, just uh, I want to pass that along. Avid Eagles fan uh, for many, many years. Uh, grew up in Sharon Hill. So, uh, uh, you know, tell us more about the group that you have. But when Tommy was mentioned, uh, Jack Michael was in the same category as an, of an, <laughs> being an Eagles fan that, that Tommy was. Yeah, and Tommy was a loyal, diehard, longtime Eagles fan, and he was with us almost every game for years. Um, we're a, we're just a group of uh, ex-Philadelphians and Delaware Valley people that are living in the Tampa Bay area that get together to watch and cheer the Eagles. It's informal. There's no dues, no cover, no membership. There's no fees of any kind. People just get together. We're green, and you're in. Uh, we have a focus of fun and a good football game, good food, and friends and family. Uh, the drunks, the F-bombs, the brawlers, they can find another bar. But my group is uh, pretty much age 35 and up, and usually you'll find us over age 50 or 60. We have some long-term Eagles fans. And we just have a great game day. I try to elevate the game day for the typical Eagles fan because nobody really cares about us except us. And mm -hmm. I do it for fun. Every game day is like Christmas morning. People walk in, they're in a great mood. They're looking forward to a great game, but I make them welcome because if you're a first timer, I ask, is anybody here for the first time? And where are you from? Oh, I'm from Sharon Hill. Oh, I'm from New Hope. Hey, anybody here from New Hope or Sharon Hill? Over here. It never fails. People people wow. show up and they start to connect and make new friends. In fact, there were some people that have gotten together and they lived around the corner from each other back up there, and now down here they're just meeting. Kind of crazy. Isn't but that amazing? Well, boy, yeah, as I, I said at the top, uh, you know, Tommy Gilbert, uh, uh, longtime Philadelphia, and then went out to Cleveland, and uh, but never lost his uh, his desire for the Philadelphia Eagles, the Philadelphia Flyers. And of course, the Tampa Bay uh, uh, Lightning. So, uh, and, and there was nothing like him. I mean, he was—he was a very <laughs> unusual guy, and uh, you, you really couldn't describe what uh, what he brought to the table. He brought commitment. He brought loyalty. He brought the things that money can't buy. Tommy was a stand-up guy for a long time, and he only knew one way to do it, and that was the right way. You know, you found your people and you stuck with them, and that was Tommy, to me, anyway. Yeah, well, I heard about uh, you, all of you uh, through Tommy on this show. And, mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, uh, I've never lived in the Tampa area, and uh, but, uh, you know, I, I felt like I knew uh, 
you as a group because Tommy would talk about it every week uh, during the Eagles yeah. season. And obviously uh, everybody in your group was very happy about the uh, season that the Eagles had at the end of the uh, Super Bowl game that we just talked to Ray about. Yeah, that was a little bit of a disappointment, and it was a it was a bad night to have a bad night. I mean, the turnout was phenomenal. The expectation was there. The, the air was electric. And uh, back in 2017, we were at the Crown Plaza Hotel on Kennedy, which used to be the old Ramada. And uh, that we had been there for about two or three years at that point. And uh, I had between 500 and 550 Eagles fans in the massive ballroom. They they had three ballrooms. They rolled the walls back and opened it all up into one big venue. I had three large screen TVs, two hot buffets, and three television camera crews filming us. I emceed the Eagles Super Bowl night in 17 wearing a tux. And Did you really? Just, yeah, why not, right? How I, often did we get it? Right, absolutely. You yeah. know, it, it was prom night for Eagles fans. I mean, come on, you got to look good. So I did, and I started the whole festivities with the Bugs Bunny theme song, you know, uh, Overture, Cut the Lights, This Is It, The Night of Nights. And I yeah. walked out wearing a Kelly Green baseball cap and a tuxedo. So, you know, Kelly Green Eagles baseball cap. So that kicked it off. But this recent Super Bowl was a little bit more low-key because we're at Muggs which is a sports bar, and uh, we had multiple. We had almost every chair and table in that place. We had the outside decks. They were outside and off the decks. We had just a great turnout. I'm sure we emptied them out of, in the kitchen and uh, pretty much lower their quality, quantity of beer that night, you know. But we have a we have a really good group. They're fun. Uh, they've been together for quite a long time. It, it's like a social club now, more so than – just a sports club. So we get together well, and cheer the team, and we, we have a lot of trivia going back and forth. So you guys would enjoy it if you show up and game by. Paul, yes, I think one of the interesting say. things about it is that Tommy talked about it so frequently. Uh, it's <laughs> not just a uh, group that comes when they win. I mean, there were some down no. years uh, over the last oh, yeah. few years before the Eagles made a turnaround. But yet oh. the group is still very, very much alive and Philadelphia Eagle fans and Philadelphia sports fans don't just stay for the winners. They stay for the show. They do. They do. And uh, we have had people that have migrated in and out of our group over the, what, almost 30 years I've been doing this. And uh, it's been a long time. I started this in 94 inadvertently. I coined Tampa Delphia uh, as kind of a spontaneous uh you know, pet name for us, and it's stuck. And uh, we're we are well known throughout the United States. The Philadelphia Eagles organization knows Tampa Delphia. Lincoln Financial Field knows Tampa Delphia. Uh, we're we've got a good brand. So, uh, but it's our behavior. You know, we try to keep the bar high. Uh, we're not setting people on fire and throwing opposing fans off the roof. I mean, we're not. We got all that out of our system way back in the day. So we're pretty, we're pretty mellow. Roger, out last this question. Point. Last question for Paulie. We're going to go to Trevor next, but let's yeah, give uh, okay. Paulie one more yeah. shot here. Yeah, I just want right. to uh, say that uh, when I got to see the 17 Super Bowl, was at Xfinity Live, and I got to tell you that was an experience. 
But yeah, I just, uh, you know, I, I'm glad that we got to talk to you because we've, you know, uh, Don, of course, Frank is down there and Don's down there half of the year. But, uh, you know, I would love to be down there sometime and uh, and get together when you do it because it's got to be a real trip. And, a, and you're to be commended uh, for doing a classy uh, uh, operation, if you know what I mean, rather than at the top of the 700 uh, level at the back. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. I, I mean, you know, it's all about fun, fellas. And life is short as it is and full of enough yeah. problems and stress. My whole philosophy is this. You go to work every day, every week, every month, every year. You bust your backside. You got your, you got your deadlines. You got your problems, your mistakes, your challenges, your quotas. You've got your fools, your idiots, and your morons in the way. By Sunday, just give me three hours to hide, get something good to eat and drink, and watch my team. And that's where <laughs> I come in. Well, Paul, right. thank you so much for spending this segment with us, and we'll have you on as we get closer to the football season again, and we'll give it a chance to uh, add to the numbers that you've already put together. Hey, thanks, fellas. It's great to talk to you again, too, Don. Uh, stay well, and uh, thanks for all you guys do. Hey, listen, thank you. thanks again for being with us, and uh, we look forward to talking to you during the season. Yes, sir. Go Eagles, fly Eagles, fly. Well, then right. we go from the older to the younger, and we go from the National Football League to the USFL, and we had a young man that uh, joined us last week for the first time with a couple of his buddies. Trevor, you're all set to go, and uh, what's the new story this week in the USFL over the weekend? Um, for people that don't know, uh, the week four of the second USFL season, uh, well, this new tenure of it, uh, just concluded, and... It was a really big weekend for the league. I think the big storyline of the weekend was um, the New Jersey Generals versus the New Orleans Breakers game on Saturday uh, accumulated over 2.063 million views on NBC, um, which is fantastic. Uh, It hasn't shot up like that in ratings since its championship game last year. Um, But we're seeing that now this league's kind of building a foundation of fans. Um, the Michigan Panthers have been playing at Ford Field uh, the past two weeks, and I believe they're pay- uh, playing there in week five this upcoming weekend. They actually haven't won in that state since 1985. <laughs> they still haven't been able to win in Ford Field this year, so we'll see if they can pull out a win. But I will say, since we are the Pally fans on the show, he had a great game this past weekend. He uh, had a great third down catch that put him uh, in position to score. Uh, their quarterback, Cole Kelly, looked great. Um, Still a little underwhelming throwing the ball, but he had two rushing touchdowns. He's a large, uncoordinated man, and he somehow found the end zone two times. Um, But it was exciting to see them get their first win of the season, and now there's no winless teams in the USFL after week four. Um, Some pretty big stat leaders as well. The New Orleans Breakers quarterback, uh, McCoy or McLeod Bethel-Thompson, he's a three-time Grey Cup winner in the CFL, three-time or two-time, I'm not quite sure on that. But he has actually uh, breached 1,100 passing yards in four weeks. So it's, it's, been, it's been pretty awesome. A lot of offensive output and a lot of really, really awesome splash plays. Roger? Well, you know, I think that point that you made, uh, Trevor, about the 2 million-plus uh, viewers uh, on NBC for that game, that is really sending a message. 
that uh, maybe the USFL is about to take off. And, and by that, I mean really take off, you know, where you're going to get big numbers or fairly big numbers every week uh, on, uh, from television. And if that's the case, uh, I think the USFL will continue to grow. And uh, I would hope that it'll get to the point where they do play each home game in their own venue, at their own venue, uh, on their in in their city in in their uh, home city, and I think that'll really uh, no. Then we'll know for sure the USFL is back for good. What do you think? Well, if you compare what the XFL just did in their first season, they've ever been able to complete. Um, they were at each of their respective home cities and states. Some teams, like the St. Louis Battlehawks and the Seattle Sea Dragons, were getting almost 30,000 people a game. So the mm-hmm. live audience is there for some some of those markets. But it's just a matter of they did really bad in, in terms of viewership ratings on TV um, compared to the USFL, which is honestly blowing them out of the water at this point. They, I don't think the XFL had a game that's gone over 2 million viewers. Um, it's just one of those things where I completely agree with you in regards to if all these teams are able to get in their own um, stadiums and kind of become a a local club for some of these markets. I think, like you said, we'll see the atmosphere uh, change for sure at each game and it'll feel like, like actual amateur or semi-pro football, but it'll also feel like the USFL again. Yeah, well, I, I feel that the uh, that Fox Sports is the premier marketer in sports broadcasting, and and much better than ESPN and ABC. I mean, ABC just part of ESPN on their broadcast, and I think that that just shows. And NBC uh, has done a good job, but I think that what Fox has done to promote the USFL uh, is outstanding, and it's just another. Uh, indication on, on what a great marketing uh, uh, team that Fox Sports has. Another kind of fun fact from this past weekend, the final game of week four was on Sunday night at 7 p.m. It was between the Birmingham Stallions and the Pittsburgh Maulers, and this game was on FS1. It's a relatively small network, a small channel, and it acquired over 545,000 um, viewers. So, And this is a time where you know, football hasn't really been on historically. I mean, some of the leagues have come on, come in and out of existence, like the AAF and um, the ISL and arena football coming in and out of um, their slumps and stuff. But I think if a league actually, you know, sees the opportunity, and like you said, Fox has done a great job marketing this. They had ads during the, the draft. They had ads all over the place, especially where each of their teams are playing in the four hub cities. But, I definitely do agree with you. I think the Fox model for how they're building this league is definitely smarter, and it seems more like a safer. Well, they promoted like it every Friday, league. Trevor, on Fox and Friends, okay, you know, which is a very uh, highly uh, uh, a witness show, a viewed show in the morning, and they would talk about what was coming up, and they'd have somebody from – Fox Sports on every Friday that I saw uh, promoting the upcoming game. So that's why I think they've done a great job. And Trevor, let me ask you about always letting you give our friends a little bit of a push about Vince Papali's son. How's he, how's he doing now that he's back in the fold? 
Oh, he he did really good things this past weekend. Like I said, he had a really good third down catch. I think it was like a third and long, like a third and 15 in the red zone area. And it set that catch set them up to go ahead and score. And this is a team that was 0-3 going into this weekend, this past weekend. Um, and everyone counted them out. They're on the bottom of everyone's power rankings. Um, but they actually showed that they have upside. Uh, their offense didn't, you know, slack around. They scored points. Um, they didn't. They actually created turnovers on their defense, which has been pretty awful, to tell you the truth. But Papali, uh, he had, I think he had over four, maybe five catches for like 45 to 50 yards. He had a really good game. Um, he's one of their honestly premier wide receivers. I think he should be wide receiver one. He's very consistent every week. It's just the main question mark for the Showboats has been their quarterback play, and this was Cole Kelly's second start of the season. Now he's one and one. Um, I think now that he's going to be more in rhythm with the offense, I think we'll see uh, Mr. Papali do his thing. I mean, he's he's a really good, sure-handed wide receiver. Doesn't drop a lot of passes. In fact, I don't think I've seen him drop one um, in game. That is, but I, I think he should be utilized more. And honestly, the Showboats—they may not win this weekend. They may be you know, one of the bottom clubs of the league, but um, they definitely show and at least try every week. It's just I, me personally, I think they might have to get rid of Todd Haley as the head coach. He was the definition of a medium in the league in the NFL as a head coach for the, the Chiefs from 09 to, I think, 2011 or 12, uh, below 500 in his win-loss record. And he's kind of just been doing that in the USFL. He was the head coach of the Bandits last year, um, and they went 4-6, and six, so that was an abysmal year. And right now, at one and three, as the show boats, it just doesn't look like it's going to be any better. Um, but, I mean, we'll see. It, it, it's not week five yet. It's not that half-point uh, area of the, of the season. So we have a lot more, I guess, time to see what these teams are made of. But, honestly, not really. I mean, two weeks, if some of these teams that are one and three, I mean, lose another game, I, I don't think they're going to be making the playoffs, especially in a 10-week regular season. But definitely shout-out uh, – Mini Papali, he was fantastic this, uh, this this past weekend. Well, as Vince Papali told us on the show a couple of weeks ago when he was kind enough to join us, his goal is to get back uh, into the National Football League and, and to make a mark there. And uh, he's uh, certainly trying very, very hard in the XFL to, uh, uh, you know, make USFL, I should say, to uh, make that uh, dream come true just like his father did. I'll say this. I can definitely see him getting a call up to a practice squad this off season after this season because again, if you look at his targets and catches, those numbers are going to be the same. He doesn't drop passes. He's he creates separation, but in my opinion, he'd be an incredibly reliable slot receiver. You know, add him on your roster for depth. But I I don't see why a team won't take a shot on him uh, this fall. Roger can't hurt. No, can't hurt. Trevor, uh, I believe, and your grandfather mentioned uh, earlier about uh, Brady is your uh, cousin, correct? I have three little brothers, Ty, Brady, and Caden, so he's my little brother. Oh, so Brady's one of your younger brothers. Yes, sir. Oh, okay, and he's graduating from uh, high school now, right? Yep, this uh, in a matter of weeks now at Palmetto High School. Yeah. So where is he going to go to college? I think he's looking at the uh, 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 excuse me, uh, the Florida State uh, College 
in town in Bradenton, and uh, he's going to get his associates and then transfer into a university somewhere. Oh, that's, just that's one of great. Where, yeah, how, how is your podcast uh, going? Uh, the um, Have you gotten any numbers as yet? Um, as of right now, we're, we're doing pretty well. Um, we, we're in season two of our podcast, and we're going to be doing a um, – for the for the finale, we're going to be doing a kind of ballad slash interview on um, Frank's uh, wife, my grandma, uh, Sharon. So that'll be pretty interesting if you guys want to. What night is it on, Trevor? Um, it's on it's on all platforms like Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Amazon Music. It's uh, called Tea Time Reports, and it's uh it's like a turquoise logo with a little teacup in the corner. It, it kind of catches your eye; you won't miss it. Gotcha. And it's gotcha. on Tuesday nights, right? Um, there's actually no schedule, and um, we, we release probably four to five episodes every week um, from 20 oh, wow. to uh, to an hour long uh, whenever we can because uh, scheduling kind of conflicts a lot of stuff, but um, we do try and post as much as we can when we can. Now, how much, oh, how much coaching do you get? From our executive director, your grandfather. How much? What kind of direction do you get from him? Well, if you guys uh, want to know, he's actually uh, he was our first formal interview for the podcast uh, for our season one finale, episode ten. Um, if you want to listen to our interview of uh, Pops or AKA Butch, you guys should definitely listen to it. Uh, we don't oh, just talk about sports listen. on there. Yeah, that's uh, we awesome. Talk about tons of stuff, um, yeah. but I'm, I'm glad you guys were interested. Well, I th- I think it's great you're doing a tribute to your grandparents. I really do. I mean, they are special people. Uh, the whole family, the Carroll family is, and uh, uh, you're blessed to have them. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And uh, Don and I are grandfathers, but Don is a great-grandfather, and uh, who uh, now will be going out to view games of his great-granddaughter. Now, that is an accomplishment, Okay that, uh, you know, we're all around long enough to see something like that, and that's what Don is very uh, blessed, and uh, his family's blessed to have him. So we're all I'll tell you, Trevor, you'll have a lot of fun doing the podcast. You'll have a lot of fun working in the broadcasting industry. It's it's perilous, but it's it's a lot of fun. Every day is another day, and you look forward to going to – if you, if you eventually go into uh, professionally, you look forward to going to work every single day. At least I felt that way. I know Roger did. Uh, and my grandson, the same way. Yeah. Your dad, he had too many pensions, so he doesn't have to worry yeah, about going yeah, right. to work. Yeah. But he, he, <laughs> you know, he goes Delaware County pensions. He goes Tampa pensions. He, so he doesn't have to worry. But the rest of us want Social Security. You know, we have to be sure we can do something. Frank, Frank. Hey, this guy never played at the golf courses that you played, nor has he taken a trip with uh, Dick Vermeule on his, his uh, wine trip tour. And Roger and I are still, you know, like uh, like we would be told by uh, the uh, great uh, uh, wisdom of uh, the radio in Philadelphia, Billy Warnell, you are right. Mr. Don. <laughs> Trevor, I'll tell you, you got to have a lot of fun. You got to have a lot of fun with the family and your grandfather. Keep up the good work, I'll tell you. It's 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 a great great opportunity to do a lot of fun things. It is. I really appreciate a great it. time Thank in you. your life, Trevor. 
Right. I have a lot to look forward to, and time goes fast, but you got to enjoy the moments, that's for sure. And I really appreciate you guys for having me on uh, again this week, and uh, it's greatly appreciated. Well, you're, you sound great. You're doing a great job, and I know the whole family's proud. Uh, uh, as your grandfather and, and Don know, my uh, oldest grandson's a, a, a freshman in high school at uh, Ridley Township, uh, and uh, he uh, went with his buddy uh, to a radio club having no idea what they were getting into, and uh, they do a radio show on Wednesdays, and they, it's an FM station you can hear for, I don't know, 10, 15 miles, I guess. So, you know, just like uh, Don said, you know, you, you if you get into the business, it's, it's, it can be a hard business to uh, crack, but if you're in it, every day is fun. That's the only way I can describe it. Like that. And the one advantage, Trevor, that you have that I never did, and I know Roger never did, is that, you know, maybe a year from now, two years from now, your grandfather will buy a 50,000-watt station <laughs> probably somewhere in the metropolitan Florida area. <laughs> and you will start off uh, as a general manager plus talent. So you don't have to worry about anything. You hear that, Pops? You need to get on it. <laughs> I don't. We can get know, more reach out Trevor, there. I don't know. I don't know what the hell he's smoking, but uh, <laughs> everybody listens. That's listen why to we're still thing. working, Frank. Yeah, you and right. I are still working. That's right. <laughs> Mister Leisure, Trevor. Mister Leisure. I won't say who it is. Uh, has a home in in Jersey and has a home down here and uh, two cars, uh, and is able to fly back and forth at will. So uh, right. let's put right. it all in perspective. Right. <laughs> you know what that sounds like? It's like the American dream. Zero. I'll tell you. That's him. That's One him. of the That's great things, Trevor, that you've had an opportunity to do that I have not for any length of time is get in your father's grandfather's car <laughs> And you get you're sitting very close to the road because he sits in the front seat, and it, it, you have to be very careful of the metal flooring that it doesn't drop out. Oh my God! Now he's, you're fortunate because most of the cars that he drives are county-owned or city-owned, and he doesn't have to put any gas in or anything like that, and they're oh not electric. God. So you're very fortunate, Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, it, if we weren't uh, if we weren't uh, controlled by uh, F- FCC, I would say that's a bunch of shit. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, that's great! Can't have more that's fun right. than this on a Wednesday night. Just remember that, Trevor. <laughs> Absolutely. And talk to well, some great people at the same time. Forever. Yeah, continued success. We're, you know, we look forward to talking to you all the time. And, uh, you know, you've just done, really done a great job. And uh, But also, you know, we've heard so much about Brady. I can remember when Brady was on the show uh, years ago, and uh, now he's graduating from high school, going to college. And, uh, uh, you know, his, his the uh, player he was named after, uh, I hear on uh, Sirius XM NFL radio. Uh, fairly regularly, uh, the old quarterback Brady Quinn. So, you definitely got to get Brady on again. 
he is on the podcast when he can be, but we got to get him on the show for sure. Okay. Very, very good. Once again, and, and listen, you're our anchor when it comes to, to football and uh, because we don't know as much about it as you do USFL. You watch the games, you chart the games, you know all the players, you know what's going on, and you're a great asset to our program to talk about the USFL. Absolutely. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. The, the, what's uh, next, Frank, my boy? I'm waiting for Mike Zimzak. Okay, then we'll hold it right okay. here until uh, we'll just uh, wrap around a little bit. I didn't get a chance to see whether the Rays won the night or not. Uh, the Knicks are in a battle. At, uh, this is an elimination game for them, so I don't know whether they're going to get a chance to uh, to continue on or not. But uh, tomorrow night's the big Don, night. Don, you know, I won. I wonder, well, we have a couple of minutes, talk about uh, Tommy and me and about that cast that okay. Ray talked about. That, that you, uh, I don't know whether you used to watch NYPD. I did. I watched it all the time, and I watched the uh, reruns uh, of it, you know, now on, uh, on okay. one of the channels. I forget which one. But I remember Gordon Clapp is the guy who was one of the detectives and uh, he was the one that had the uh, girlfriend uh, that was this, the uh, very attractive secretary in their uh, precinct. And uh, I'm sure, uh, you know, Frank being in law enforcement for his career, uh, he's probably seen it. But that's who Gordon Clapp is. And he was one of the uh, top stars uh, on there. And uh, so, and then for him now to be Tommy uh, in the uh, in the play, I mean, I can't wait to see it on the big stage. And because um, you know, Bucks, well, you've been there many times. I mean, you lived in the area. I mean, and, that's and exactly like, right. I only lived about yeah. uh, eight miles from uh, the, the, the miles, uh, theater yeah. in New Hope. Yeah, over the uh, New Hope Bridge, and you were there. From Titusville to New Hope, and 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 I know my uh, my cousin and her husband have season tickets there, and uh, but I just can't wait to see it because you know it's one thing to see it with the media theater. It was like when Dan and I saw it underneath the Ben Franklin Bridge. I mean, well, that was okay. A, we got to make the point. we got to make the jump because Mike is now well, ready to go. Yeah, uh, Frank's got Mike all set to go. Mike. Uh, Let's start. At, let's start with the uh, MSL because uh, MLS. I mean, because uh, we uh, they're now getting what in week number five. So uh, you'll be getting your foot on the ground as to what's happening on the soccer front. Well, uh, it's not week number five. We're closer to week number eleven, and um, you would like to think that I would have my foot firmly on uh, what was going on in MLS, but still. I don't because, you know, the Philadelphia Union can look like world beaters as they did against New York Red Bulls on Sunday, but then they can also get blown out by LAFC like they did on the preceding uh, Thursday. So still haven't figured that one out. Uh, It's going to take another couple of months before I actually know what's going on in MLS. I apologize to all the listeners who think that I would have that under control, but 
to them I would respond, y'all watch that and try and figure out what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> Roger, you're up. Yeah, well, I'm looking at the standings, and uh, Atlanta United uh, has 18 points. New England uh, Revolution has 24, as does the uh, Football Club of Cincinnati. And then uh, you got Nashville, Atlanta, New York City Football Club, and then Columbus, and then the Union, and then uh, you've got Orlando City and D.C. United all with 14 points. But uh, I'm with you. I I was – uh, tracking that union game, and I also was watching uh, highlights of the Atlanta United because you know now, Mike, you can't watch the uh, these games over over the air TV anymore. Okay, no, which is a pain on the neck. Okay, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. Go ahead. I mean, uh, anybody who can figure out what is going to go on in the MLS season right now and have it be correct. Like, I also want you to give me the prognostication for the Triple Crown races because that person is a godsend. I mean, I I still can't. Why is St. Louis as high up as they are right now as an in, as a um, – Expansion team. Are they going to stick and stay? Uh, what is DC United going to do when it comes to this, trans- this summer transfer window? Because I think they're going to make some improvements. Uh, it, it is just a really hard thing to prognosticate MLS right now. And I want to say, like, don't even bother with it. Just go out watch and enjoy what this, the the uh, product is. Just go out and enjoy. There's no reason to say are these teams going to finish in the playoffs? Are they not? Just go out and enjoy and see what it is. Okay, let's switch gears very quickly and uh, how about Mr. Snyder? Anything new uh, with, with the Washington Football Club? He's going to sell the team. <laughs> Okay, next. <laughs> He's going to sell the team. That's next. what's next. <laughs> He's I, what about that team. guy that came up with $7 billion? Not, not going to happen. It's going to be um, uh, Josh uh, Harris. Joshua Harris and his – you know, I almost want to call the, him Joshua Harris and his band of merry men, like make him rent um, – uh, like Robin Hood, but they're yeah. not because it just seems like that. Either, they don't get to the door. They take. Yeah, either that or Joshua Harris and his um, 15 happy dwarfs. Like, uh, it's still white. Um, it's going to be Joshua Harris. Uh, I have my suspicions that it will be done this upcoming meeting in May, because mm-hmm. that's one of the last ones that the NFL owners are going to have before the start of the season. Uh, right. There is no reason to believe that is not going to be Joshua Harris. Did and you know have fun with it. They'll they'll inherit the uh, Commanders 
and all that comes with them. Uh, you know, the stadium issues and all of that, and hopefully they're able to do a better job than Daniel Snyder was. Roger, let's go with the final question because Doug's already in the wing. He's ready to go. Well, I think you just hit it, Mike. Uh, it looks like Joshua Harris uh, and his uh, uh, group is, is going to uh, get the uh, Redskins or get the uh, Commanders. And uh, and then uh, what happens uh, next is, like you you talked, I remember last year, about uh, Ron Rivera being in a tenuous position, and Ray Dittinger mentioned that earlier. It's, he's on his last year of his contract, and uh, the. Do you, what do you? When can we expect that we'll see inroads into improving this franchise, or maybe we won't at all this season? All right, um, Ron Rivera's in the penultimate year, so he's got this year and next year. Oh, he's, okay. Um, uh, so he. Ron Rivera, if he has a phenomenally great season, uh, maybe he's six or six. But the only the thing that we have to in Ron Rivera's entire tenure, he's had three winning seasons. Why would we think that he was going to have another one this year? Starting mm-hmm. with Sam Howell as quarterback, mm-hmm. I think that Ron Rivera. Is on his way out. Um, the new owner is going to come in. They'll take over. The biggest thing to watch with the new owner is where does the stadium go? Because mm-hmm. that's the most pressing need of anything. And as much as I hate to say this, the quarterback, the wide receivers, the defensive backs, whether or not they sign Chase Young, are ancillary into whether or not they can get the stadium taken care of. That's the big thing with that. Figure yeah, out. I agree with that 100%. I think everybody yeah. agrees with that. they they got to get that problem straightened out. Yeah, before well, they Mike, can go anywhere. Thank you. We, we got to you a little bit late tonight, but thank you very, very <laughs> yeah, much. Yeah, that's my fault. Man, we I'll missed you last week, better Mike. next week. Uh, okay. We'll look forward to it. Take care. Thank Have you very day. much. Well, we're, we're in the home stretch here. The Orioles are about to win a game two to one over uh, the Tampa, over Tampa Bay. The Rays uh, right now are at the they're two outs from the top of the ninth inning. One ball, two strikes, two outs, and uh, the Orioles with Doug coming on. Doug, you got uh, yeah. a little something to look at with a positive note last night and tonight. Yeah, I tell you what, Tampa Bay is a pretty solid team. Um, tough stretch for the O's, you know, playing three games against Atlanta, three games against Tampa, three games against Pittsburgh. Um, you know, the rest of the month doesn't get a whole lot better. So, um, Tampa's a strong team, and they have uh, a good hitting offense and a pretty deep pitching staff, you know, much like the Braves are really good. Um Top to there it is. Strikeout. They can definitely. Or, Orioles win it at home at Chandler Yards, two to one. That's who who pitched the ninth inning for Baltimore. If you don't mind me asking, I I'm in the car. I, I don't. So. I got the picture of. I don't. I can't tell you. I, I got the picture. Okay. I'm watching the game, but I don't. I don't. Obviously, you don't have any sound. Okay. Well, I mean that's 
that's a huge win for them. You know, I think there were a lot of people who uh, didn't give the Orioles a whole lot of credit because during the month of April they're proclaiming that, uh, you know, they're beating the uh, the A's and the Tigers and, and teams like that, and they're not really that good. Um, so, you know, um, their last six games, they're 3-3 three and three against, um, you know, some pretty good contenders. Right. And we'll see how that translates moving, you know, against uh, against Pittsburgh. Um, that's that's a huge series to win for them. Well, Roger, it was interesting because Roy Cummings at the top of the show basically said the same thing. Who would have said that the Rays and the Orioles would be at the top of the American League East going into uh, the second week of May? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, as a as an Oriole fan, you know, I watch or listen to most of the games. Uh, that, that get broadcast or played. And um, I guess it's hard for me because, you know, when you look at the, the three pitchers that the Braves threw out there and at least two of the three that the, you know, Tampa threw out there, I mean, that they, those guys have horses, man. They, they have guys that can, um, you know, they're viable Cy Young Award candidates. And, um, you know, the Orioles don't present that guy. They just, they just don't – they still don't have that number one starter that you can give the ball to every fifth day right. and expect to get a win. Um, you know, and that's – you know, can the Orioles contend for a wild card? You know, absolutely. Um, but I don't know that, you know, in a in a series, they don't have that bona fide ace that they can throw out there and, and compete. You know, the first guy that Tampa threw, that left-hander um, – Rasmussen or whatever his name was, and that guy's nasty. I mean, he's got all the pitches. He throws upper 90s, um, moves it in, out, up, down, locates. I mean, he's very good. The Orioles don't have that guy. And unless they can find who that is through trade or, or something moving forward into the deadline, it's going to be tough for them to contend, you know, much much past the regular season. Roger? Well, you know, I'm, I'm watching uh, the uh, the hockey game, and uh, you know, the Leafs are up over the uh, Florida one uh, nothing. But you know, I know exactly what you're saying, uh, Doug. And they that's one of the things you hear from a lot of the uh, the uh, major uh, league uh, analysts or so-called experts. Yeah. Like the Phillies have two right. number one pitchers, a one and a one A. When Correct. they're on. I mean, like you know, today, I mean, Wheeler pitched that gem, okay? It was that home run. Yeah. They almost lost it. But then Nola had right. a, a good game. So, so figuring that they are now going to get into rhythm, you know, you adjust to the, uh, the the pitch count and everything else, they have too. And most teams don't. And, I mean, you look at the Mets now. They got Verlander and, Sch- and Scherzer, uh, Max Scherzer. And he's hurt. Scherzer's hurt. So, uh, you know, with the pitching. And has been hurt all year. Yeah, exactly. So that's what it takes. Now, my question about the Orioles, because I was always a big fan uh, as my American League team, do they have pitchers that can develop to become those number, uh, somebody that's a number one or a 1A? In your opinion, Doug? Yeah, I mean, Doug, you look at yeah. some of these. Yeah, you 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 look at some of these teams like you just mentioned with Wheeler and Nola. I mean, that's if you play a seven game series, that's four sevenths, you know, of the series in terms of their pitching staff. And right, um, I mean, the, the Orioles have been running Kyle Gibson and Dean Kramer and Tyler Wells and guys like that out there, 
who have pitched well at times. I mean, Grayson looked good uh, yesterday, but, um, you know, it's just, you know, if their offense has trouble against a number one guy that can't score more than, you know, one or two runs, you know, they, they need a pitcher that can match that, and they don't have that. So I totally agree that, you know, moving forward, I mean, whether they're counting on John Means to be that guy when he comes back, you know, from from reconstructive elbow surgery or, you know, they're counting on Grayson Rodriguez to, to take those steps forward or one of those veterans to, to step up. I mean, that's always been the way that they've done it with, with less than I feel like, you know, they should have. I mean, you know, they have a very good minor league system and, and a plethora of players at certain positions that they can draw from to, you know, entice other teams to potentially give up something that they need. Um, you know, the White Sox aren't going anywhere. You know, Dylan Cease is a, is an, is a, is a Cy Young candidate award, you know, guy. Um, uh, the Brewers have a couple guys that, that are pretty good. Uh, Coburn or whatever that guy's name is that, that they have. I mean, there's people out there. Do they want to go get that guy and solidify that position is, is the question. Uh, we don't know the answer to that. Doug, we'll switch gears a little bit because uh, racing is coming to Baltimore. Uh, first of all, your observation yeah. on the Kentucky Derby, it was, uh, I'll tell you, it was, it was a yeah. great race to watch. And it was a great race betting-wise, too, not only uh, the sure. exacted, but the trifecta. Uh, the whole afternoon was yep. uh, was really very, very well handled. But uh, your observation as they come to Baltimore. Well, uh, last we spoke, um, you know, there were a couple horses in that field that I liked and virtually – I think all three of them got scratched. Right. Uh, Forte was your odds-on favorite that was a last-minute scratch based on the veterinarian's opinion of whether he should run or not. Um, Practical Move and Skinner were other ones that I probably would have entered into, you know, uh, you know, a, a different you know wager in terms of exacta trifecta, etc. Um, you know, the the two that that they really liked were, were Tappet Trice and, and the other one was uh, Angel Vampire, Angel Vampire, whatever that one was. Um, you know, uh, two fills was kind of hot and cold in terms of whether they thought he was going to be a good, a good bet or not. But the horse that, that won uh, the, the eight horse, Maje or Maeg or whatever they, I can't pronounce the name. Um, but, you know, I, he was a lukewarm kind of a mid, you know, was it 12 to one, 15 to one, 10 to one, something like that. So, um, you know, you got a pretty heavy return on your bet for that one. Absolutely, absolutely. Was, and I'll tell you, it was a, really a, an outstanding race, to be honest with you. And uh, I don't know if yeah. we're going to see any triple crown uh, participants or not because the field really wasn't. But well, the big story, obviously, is uh, from an equine standpoint, is the number of horses that are, where you had to be put down and uh, yeah. injuries and put down. And that really took, unfortunately, that took – uh, a lot of the headlines away from, you know, the Kentucky Derby itself. Well, I mean, horse racing over the last several years has had somewhat of a black eye, um, you know, with uh, Baffert, some of those guys, and, and, and some of the performance-enhancing drugs, I think, that they were uh, injecting into some of these horses. I mean, um, you know, Lasix has always been a long-time concept for a lot of these individuals that talk. You know, is that humane to give faster or what that does to his 
lung capacity and those sorts of things. Well, uh, that Baffert here, you know, one of the leading trainers in all of all of horse racing, and uh, you know, he's banned again. There was banned again this year uh, between, as you mentioned, the, the drugs and the problems and uh, uh, off the track, and, and really took away from you know the luster of the Kentucky Derby. Is Doug there? We lose Doug for some reason. Yeah, for some reason he's driving. Here he comes back. Okay. Yeah. Oh, he keeps. Yeah, yeah, goes in and out. I understand. Yep. Been there, done that. Yeah, I'm I'm in. I'm in parts unknown right now. I mean, it's you know, the top of the. Well, that's when you're playing golf when you get on the green. That's parts unknown. Yeah, you're in the Francis Scott Key uh, tunnel. (laughs) Probably. <laughs> um, yeah. But you let know, me just uh, say for those folks who don't hear us on a regular basis, <laughs> Doug Hamilton is a PGA professional and has been for a number of years. And uh, we talk golf, but we don't always talk golf. We talk football, we talk baseball, we talk horse racing. Yeah. Well, we we move around the dial. Hey, can I ask you, you know guys what? about those those dead horses? You know, I guess there's yeah. a lot of uh, suspicion. Uh, that maybe that was handled, that was done, uh, unfortunately, by uh, some out-of-the-country people. Uh, have you seen anything about that? I have not. Uh, okay. No, I, I haven't. I mean, I know, um, uh, what was it? What was the track, Don? Was it Del Mar or um, Santa Anita? Or, I forget which, which uh, track it was out west where they had a similar issue and you know, horses having to get put down. And, and I think in many cases, this is going to be a, a numerical value, if you will, of having too many horses in the field, you know, where they get kind of bunched up and somebody steps on somebody or, you know, something happens. But in many cases, right. they, they look at the track itself. And, and, and sometimes you have a, a really tight turn scenario where they have to reshape kind of the track a little bit to bank it so that you have more room for those horses you know, and well, Pimlico is a perfect example of that. You know, yeah. Pimlico is a tight race. I mean, fortunately, I should say fortunately because for the betters, but you usually have a much, much smaller field, not that you're going to have 20 horses at Pimlico, but at the same Correct. time, you know, you've got a racetrack that's pretty tight, and, and you've got to really be able to handle that kind of a racetrack. You do, and, and if you watch, and you know, I've, been degenerate enough to watch a lot and gamble on South African races because uh, they come first thing in the morning and you know they have uh, uh, che- cheaper uh, trifectas. They're not fifty centers; they're they're ten centers, which is nice because you can throw an extra horse in there. But in many cases, those South African races where they go five, six, seven wide coming into that turn because their straightaways are different um, and their turns are different uh, than than American racing. So, <clears throat> I mean that's one of the big keys is how many horses do you have in the race and how wide can you go? And some of those horses try to take those turns and they just don't make it. Um, pretty simple. Hmm. Roger. Well, yeah, I, I, I'm glad that uh, there wasn't any uh, follow-up or any uh, actual uh, reporting that that was actuality because I had, would hate to see that. Yeah. But, uh, the uh, you know when you know I'm a firm believer where there's smart spark there's fire, and especially uh, right. when you have a situation with so many horses, 
you know, I mean, we've seen right. some that had it put down. Uh, I remember the Kentucky uh, uh, winner that uh, was from, uh, what was it, out in Chester County, right, Don, Frank? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, where the owner was. And they had to take it to the, the Penn uh, um, uh, Veterinary uh, School to put the, the horse down. I remember that. It was like yesterday, and it was a lot of years ago. But, you know, anyway, right. I, I hope that you have a good race. Uh, the uh, And I, I hope that the Belmonts are good. I love to watch. I don't know anything about it. Uh, the, what I used to do is go to Brandywine or Liberty Bell, mainly, mainly Brandywine, and bet on the trotters and have a fun night. That was about it. Or Atlantic City, yeah. okay, uh, when they had the racetrack. And have a fun time, but that was about it. You know, I know nothing about horse racing, but I do like to watch it. Doug yeah. knows all about it. I you get know. all my tips from Doug. <laughs> You're making a lot well, of money then. Yeah, well, there was there was a a day I'd say back in my prime when I was really. No, I think you dropped out again. Yeah, he dropped again. Yeah. yeah, we did, we did a uh, a night years ago, Don, uh, BUD Kicks Night at the Races. Right. And down in Atlantic City, and, and uh, Charlie Titano and I did a show, and Dom, Tom Williams did his show. He, he and then we, we went back. back and forth. And, okay, and it was a fun time at Atlantic City Racetrack on a Friday night. Yeah. Well, Bob Levy, of course, the Levy family owns Atlantic City Racetrack, and... Uh, uh, you know, it was just unfortunate now with them all. Uh, but they were, the difficulty that they had was that they raced at night, number one. And number two, when the casinos came in, uh, it re- really uh, hurt racing in, in Atlantic City. And the other thing was you couldn't get enough horses in the field. And, uh, you know, you can't have, a, you can't have a, a bunch of races, eight, seven, eight races that only have four or five, you know, horses running in and, you know, Bob Levy did everything to, uh, you know, he had, he's had some great horses. I mean, he won the Belmont. Uh, uh, yeah, as I say, he had some great, great horses. A terrific guy, too. But uh, they just couldn't sustain it. And it was his father and, and uh, uh, Grace Kelly's father and uh, two or three other people that actually uh, built the Atlantic City race course. Mm-hmm. Doug's back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, the I think Don, the opposite's true. I used to go to Charlestown, you know, when I was high school and thereabouts, and when they put the casino in there, it actually helped it, you know, because I think it it kind of classed up the place a little bit with people coming in there. And you know, there were days that I would go to that Charlestown track with my dad or, or whomever, and you'd see guys scrounging around on the ground for for old tickets to see if they were winners, and somebody mistakenly <laughs> threw them away. So, you know, and and and. Well, I mean, in many cases, when you when you enter gambling into the equation, I think you potentially bring in an undesirable group of people that you know that that do that. Um, but you know, when you're talking about the Derby and Belmont and all those things, I mean, that's a different group of people altogether. You know, when it comes to, to horse oh, racing yeah. and, and and all those you know, oh, kinds yeah. of things. I mean, well, nothing like well, Saratoga. You go up to Saratoga. It's a, uh, just one of the great, you know, just one of the great oh, yes. trips you can ever go up there for any of the races. Mm-hmm. Saratoga is a lot of fun, 
But let's get well, let's get to your let's get to your Ravens before we run out of time, because uh, okay. your evaluation of uh, the draft, uh, the moves they made, yeah. and are you uh, with the signing? Obviously, uh, are you uh, very much yeah. uh, on the bandwagon this year? Yeah, I think there was a period of time where I, you know, was a little upset through the Lamar negotiations that this was taking place and it was kind of penalizing the team and handcuffing them and, and not allowing them to, you know, make some additional moves to reshape their team. Um, you know, I like, you know, when you draft people, you never know really truly what you're getting. Um, you know, so it takes a period of time to evaluate that. But uh, I can tell you that I think that the Ravens definitely got better this football season when it came to the draft and free agency. I still think they probably have a couple holes left to fill through free agency that they were waiting for um, to see what kind of contract was going to happen or not happen and how much money they had. So I think there's still a cornerback away. Um, Maybe they bring back Marcus Peters, who was a Raven. Um, You know, there's probably some rotational pieces that they could enter into that, whether it's defensive linemen, um, you know, or those, you know, different types of positions through there. Um, But I, I definitely think they got better through the draft. And, uh, and free agency this period. So I'm, I'm excited, um, you know, to see what happens. I think that uh, tomorrow night they released the schedule, so I'm curious to see um, how that plays into it um, in terms of um, obviously being in a tough division, but who they play outside of that I think is, is key as well. Roger? Yeah, the, I think they announced uh, today about uh, some of the uh, international um, uh, matchups. Yeah, uh, they did. I, I don't know whether you saw it. I mean, I also saw that the Phillies and the Mets are going to be playing in London next year. So uh, baseball is okay. going international. Everybody follows the NFL in their marketing, no doubt about right. it. But did right. you see uh, what the uh, international games are going to be, Doug, or Don, or Frank? I did. Um the Ravens are playing in London, which, you know, whatever. I think the last time Wasn't that there happened. Wasn't there a chance they were going to play two games? One of the teams was going to play two games, in, uh, one in Germany and one in London. I forget okay. which team yeah. it was. Well, the yeah, the notification I got said that the Ravens were playing uh, in London, and the last time that happened they got whooped by uh, Jacksonville, and that was the, the start of all that kneeling and all that crap that happened. So that probably left a poor taste in many people's mouths, um, you know, after that. So we'll we'll see. I mean, I don't know. If I were an NFL player, I don't think I'd want to play in London myself. Um, that's certainly a disruption from what we would call normal in terms of travel time and accommodations and those sorts of things. So I wouldn't be a big fan, but – you know, I know that we're talking about a, a global market here, so we have to, you know, provide that. And we also know that the NFL is always going to do what's best for the bottom line and the dollar bill and and not necessarily what's best for the athlete. You know, hence these Thursday night games. And we actually have a Friday night game on Black Friday this year and, and some different things that, that I think detract. I mean, good for the fan, but not good for the player. Yeah, and, and maybe not, and maybe not for uh, the fans too. In in many ways, when you get into uh, you know the holiday, and then people are out um, moving around, and do they really want to watch a game on Friday night uh, when they have the families there, and you know they're out uh, all yeah. over the place? It's not like when you're sitting at home on Thanksgiving Day celebrating. 
Well, and the other thing is that, you know, DirecTV used to be the housing for um, Sunday NFL tickets, you know, and that's moved to, I think, YouTube. You know, in addition, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the Thursday night games are moved to that Amazon garbage. So, I mean, I feel yeah. like they're making it more difficult for fans to watch football games um, as opposed to, to not, particularly for, you know, a guy like me who wants to watch the Baltimore market who normally gets the Washington market. And I'll be damned if I'm going to watch the Commanders play and not the Ravens. If that's the only game on Rob. TV, then I'm doing something else. I, I ain't watching that. <laughs> I agree. I can understand that. And like uh, Mike was talking, you know, because you know I wanted to watch the United game, and you can't watch them right. because they're you got to have right. that uh, package. And I think that w- when you're trying right. to develop a, a league, you don't want to go that way. And they did it. All right, fellas, hold on. We're right. uh... We're just out of time. I will say this. The Knicks are now leading 82-71. So it looks like the Knicks are going to stay alive against Miami. There's uh, 18 seconds to go in the third period. Our executive producer is ready, Frank Carroll. Close us out, Frank. Okay, <laughs> Have a so great week. Thank all. God bless, Frank. I want to thank all our guests for being on with us tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week. In grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces. Men and women, police and fire services. When you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please acknowledge them. Not everybody's bad to wear the uniform. These programs are dedicated to those who lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcat, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazwitz, Sergeant Thomas Batinger, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Rick Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Henry, Sergeant Tom Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Charlie Condit, Tarpon Springs Police Department. Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department. Lieutenant Jewish Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department. Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department. Sergeant Chris LeBake, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department. Patrolman Alpha Chris from Lakeland PD. Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police. Patrolman, Patrol Deputy Josh Meyer, Nassau County Sheriff's Department. Captain Matt Retorno, Philadelphia Fire Department. Captain Chris Leach, Wellington Fire Department. Lieutenant Artis Oak, Wellington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Fikes, Wellington Fire Department. Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Chief Al Hogo, Longwood Key Police Department. Chief Jimmy Ford, Wellington Fire Department. Deputy Mike Hargrove, Pinellas County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Blaine Lane, Polk County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Chris Meyer, Polk County Sheriff's Department. Sergeant Christopher Fitzgerald, Philadelphia Sheriff's Department and Temple Police Department. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10 7 at this point in time, but sometime we'll be 10 10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, when the roads raise up to meet you, may the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and the sunshine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your family always in the palm of his hands. Night, God bless, and have a great week. Shemalek ma'yelama Shemahezahilma Sona shenevorat fed Hakuig again ma'yelama
name, Bob. We love you and we miss you. Amen.